Good evening, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Connecting Conversations, where we'll be chatting Sunday sermon with Reverend Chris Krauss, who shared with us a message of hope. <clears throat> Chris is our Presbytery Minister, and uh, it's wonderful to have you with us, Chris. Welcome to Connecting Conversations. It's a real pleasure to be here, Mike. Excellent. Friends, as you bring in to watch uh, Chris and I have a chat, please know that this is about connecting together. So drop us a line, fill in a comment, ask a question if you'd like to, and we'll do our best to uh, to answer those and um, and speak to them. Thank you for the greetings that come in there, and uh, it'll be good as we chat. Chris, uh, some of you, some of uh, some of the folk would know you well from your role in the presbytery. Others, maybe not so much. Can you maybe just introduce us uh, to yourself a little bit about your your family, your work, your interests, your ministry? Uh, yeah, I'll try to be short because I'd prefer to talk about the the sermon and the gospel rather than myself. But I um, I've been a child of God since uh, high school. I experienced a real strong sense of call where um, at my year 12 school leavers camp and in that process changed from having a scholarship to study engineering to change to theology. So I entered wow. the faculty of theology at the age of 19 and uh, kept studying and studying and studying, just loving it, just uh, wanting to better and better equip myself to serve God and to serve people. And I love people and, and bringing God's hope and message to people. So I've been in many ministry placings through that time. I'm very happily married to Henriette. We've got two kids who are now adults. Uh, they live in Perth, both married, um, yeah. no grandkids. So <clears throat> we've got a little fun to buy them a book on, you know. <laughs> Help them understand that we need grandkids now. Uh, no pressure, but uh, yeah. So uh, Henry has been travelling with me as, as you know, and she's been in nursing most of her life. Um, we've been in placements uh, part time in conscripted military service in a hospital chaplain in Pretoria, then in Maltino at the southern tip of the Drakensberg Mountains. Oh, beautiful! South Africa. Porchestrum, Franschhoek, uh, the most beautiful town in South Africa. And then Perth for over a decade. Uh, been a bit of time in Harvey Bay and now in this Presbytery Minister's role. Fantastic, Chris. And uh, uh, 30 years and counting. A bit more than 30. Yeah. And uh, this Presbytery Minister's role, certainly you've gotten to hear a lot of audio books and, uh, and plant a lot of trees. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I uh, I look. I, I'm preparing a presentation for the Senate Standing Committee on how things are going in the presbytery, and I looked it up, looked up some stats, and saw that our patch is 65,000 square kilometers. Uh, right. So I do between 28 and 30 audiobooks per year, visiting <laughs> everyone. I listen to lots of sermons, experience lots of interesting people, some really beautiful things, uh, some sad and hard stuff. Presided at a memorial service on Saturday for a key leader in Childers. But there are the sad days and then there are the wonderful days when you see miracles happen. All right. 
Well, Chris, uh, you may notice that Chris is in an interesting studio there. He's in his caravan in Harvey Bay as uh, as he made the trip up to do the, the service in Bundaberg and also uh, visit the ministers here up north. And it was lovely to have you there, Chris, and uh, thank you for doing that. And I hope you're having good weather there in Harvey Bay. But, uh, uh, I, I saw Denise Savage check in. I think it's uh, probably triple the temperature they have there. Uh, right. <laughs> but no, it's it's a bit chillier tonight. But yeah, it's lovely to be in a caravan. You, we're using this as a base so that I can. I went out to Childers, went out to Bundaberg, uh, meeting the ministers and chaplains here in in Harvey Bay, recording a service for Harvey Bay. So yeah, I get a lot done. It's great Excellent. to have a base. Great, Chris. To jump straight into the sermon. Um, you preached on, on hope and how we can be people of hope and how we can communicate that hope, not in some some trite way, but with uh, with thought and care and sensitivity. But most important of all, um, we communicate that hope with well thought out reasons as to why we're a people of hope. And in the first part of the sermon, you actually uh, showed a graph and uh, I'm going to try and bring it up uh, with the three of us. Uh, it's uh, maybe a little bit small over there to see it, but um, the oh, blank me out for a sec. Could be fine. Sorry, blank me out for a bit and show it. Oh, okay. Um, we'll still be able to hear you. There um, you go. That was, that was that was the graph that you you shared with us, and um, and the different curve. I think sometimes we keep sliding down that that second part of it, but um, we keep hearing uh, a lot about the word. Um, unprecedented and uh, this time is unprecedented certainly have there been other times in your ministry where you've seen this graph or parts of it happening and and in the end that hope has been realized oh absolutely mate i uh you know i hate to be one of those people that says when we were you know but when we were back in south africa i mean it is hard for people over here in australia where things have gone so smoothly and people are talking about you know, 27 years without a recession and stuff like that, to imagine what the level of fear and panic was in South Africa before the first democratic elections. Yeah. You know, um, people were literally panicking and buying like people were buying a few weeks ago. You know, they were buying power generators and buying all the foodstuffs off the shelves and uh, thinking there won't be electricity and you know, they were yeah. panicking. Um, I remember the stock exchange was decimated because people thought there was nationalization of the banks. So the fear was there. I had to address a church council who said, you know, we think we should have armed guards at the church doors. And mm. I had to say, guys, what are you thinking? Where's God in this? How, how can you, how can you not? Now step up and, and show your faith. And and it's not that we're uh, naive or pretending that things, well, you know, she'll be right, mate. It's that we have something better to anchor ourselves to and God is in control. Yeah. I'll make you feel a little bit old, Chris, but I, was, I had uh, just turned 18 when that election happened. So that was my very first election I could uh, right. vote in. Um, but yeah. I do remember. I, I remember that time too. I remember the the sense of panic and and the stockpiling that um that was going on there. 
Yeah. You mentioned um, you mentioned in the sermon that uh, your starting point of hope is to revere Christ. That your uh, when, when Christ is in the rightful place in your heart, when He's adored, when He's respected, when He's loved, when He's worshipped, uh, that's the beginning point of of hope. And um, it ties very nicely in with our soul keeping series and and uh, the need for for we've spoken in that series about getting rid of the distractions and keeping Christ in that in that center place. How do you uh, personally, how do you keep Christ at the center? And, and maybe can you share with us a time when it's been difficult to do so? Yeah, right. I, I think my whole, is, my whole life has to be Christ-centered. This is why I've dedicated my life to this ministry. Uh, you know, the, we, we had a presbytery ministers meeting this morning and the, the moderator said something that he has said numerous times in joining our meeting. He said, the presbytery minister's role is the hardest one in the church. Why would you want to do it? You know. <laughs> so despite all the good stuff, there is the hard stuff. Why do, we, why do we engage and do those hard things? It is because Christ compels me. It is because Christ's love and presence in our lives changes us and has changed me. Um, we had a short stint out of ministry um, to take a break and and pursue another avenue, just literally to make a bit of money to fill up our super. Always saying, you know, we're going to come back into ministry. But when I did that, I I was very focused, saying, I want to make money. I need to top up my super, but this is not fulfilling. This is not what I want to do. Mm. Um, I don't want to be at, at, in the tourism industry, even though between Henry and I, we did really well. Um, uh, that wasn't the benchmark. The benchmark was, are we offering the love of Christ to people? Are we offering um, things that will, will make a real difference in people's lives? Because Jesus has made a difference in my life. Mm. And mm. If, if I can't help people see that, then I'm failing. And I've been called by Jesus to show people that. That's what I'd love to do. There's been, yeah, of course, as with anybody and everybody, there have been quite hard times in our lives. Um, I mean, something like immigration, you know, it's, mm. it's a really tough time to go through. I specifically remember um, immigration isn't seen um, net, uh, neutrally in South Africa. You know, because of the fear element, because of the economy going down, when people in middle class and, and people who are educated leave the country, it makes it more difficult for everyone else. So, you know, every person that is on a middle class income leaves, there's one less consumer that buys at the store. So there's an aggression from many people when you immigrate. And I distinctly remember Henriette when she was nursing in hospice. Um, we're sharing with her colleague for the first time that, yes, we've received the call to go to Perth and we're going. And her husband walked up to the car uh, in which I was sitting. I turned down the window and said, hi, mate, how are you going? And he swore in my face and said, I will never, never speak to you again. Hmm. And I laughed. I thought he was making a joke. Yeah, and so immigration has the you know the big ad adaptions, 
that you know when your kids have to adapt when your kids are you know our kids were nine and ten and mm. and uh, you know it takes two months for the container to get here so they haven't even got toys um, we've had health setbacks in our family we've had some deaths um, very very hard when a, a, a close relative passes in another continent and you can't mm. make it there Two days ago, I was part of a funeral service for a good friend of mine from Maltino, my first placement from over 30 years ago. And we kept our friendship up and he right. passed. And, you know, there I am. All I can see are little pictures on a screen mm. as we share this. We all go through those things. And the GFC, you know, that hit a lot of us when our United Church pension funds hurt badly. We go through these things, and that's when the call is, are, are you sure this really drives you and encourages you? Is Jesus really in your life? Mm. Or are you going to a nice social gathering on a Sunday to meet up with friends, talk about the AFL, have morning tea, and go home? I think there has to be more. Yeah. Otherwise, don't go. Great. And, Christian, you spoke about... Um your your sermon your uh you spoke about the three-legged uh chair and um and those three things being in place in order to be a people of hope and i think in those kind of situations you're talking about um you know those those are the three things that um that that, that bring that hope if i understood you correctly the the first one that you mentioned was to have a, a sense of control and that that's so difficult to understand when we when we control so little like in this particular um pandemic that we that we face now and and in other times like those those times that you mentioned with your your friend passing away we, we sometimes i think lose hope because we we don't have um the kind of control that we would we would like to have can you maybe talk a little bit more about what you understand that control to be and um, and maybe share with us a, a story about your own life or ministry where you've really relied on that sense of control? Uh, mate, yeah, I'm, I'm, just for the sake of those who maybe didn't catch the sermon or those who drifted off or lost their signal or fell asleep you know, on, on Sunday, um, it's not three things I just dreamed up. You know, It's not like I just said, oh, I think these are the three things. Um, one of the most, the best-selling books in the world about hope by Mark Manson. Um, he quotes the research that's out there and says, when you look at everything that's being done on hope, hope has these three elements, you know, yeah. um, the, the sense of control, um, the sense of belonging to a community and having shared values. That's what everything that defines hope has in common. So I was unpacking that as part of when, when 1 Peter 3, 15 says, be ready to explain the hope that lives in you. It's in that context. Well, I don't want to just, hope isn't just a wishy-washy, she'll be right, mate. It's yes. not just hope for the better. Don't worry, you know, there's a plan behind everything. Hold thumbs and... That's satisfying. <laughs> Sorry? Hold thumbs and, and think good thoughts. 
Yeah, even worse, you know, when we when we put it in religious language and just say, you know, or oh, everything will work out for the better. Mm. Mate, it doesn't work out for the better for everyone. Um, people that have cancer don't always get better. Mm. People that pray for rain don't always get rain before <laughs> the farmers. Um, so back to your um, your question about the control i really appreciate this opportunity because it's you know that's the, the dilemma that we all face when we do sermons you know you, you think what what goes into 20 minutes and what has to be cut you know let's cut the 45 pages i'd like to actually deal with uh, to 20 minutes um the control is the really tough one because what he says in his book is that that sense of control is is a key part to enable hope to happen to grow okay it, it, it's a prerequisite for it to, to be able it's one of the three uh legs of the stool if if you lose one of the three it falls over and in a time like this we've seen the opposite right i mean the, the most symptomatic thing is that i think we will be talking about this in 20 years time as the toilet paper pandemic which is absurd now, who could have imagined last year that the shelves of Woolworths will be empty with no toilet paper and mm. people won't be able to find toilet paper, you know, and people will be hoarding it. And what were they saying by, with their body language by buying trolleys full of toilet paper? They were saying, I need some sense of control. Okay. I cannot control this. I have no control. This virus could hit me, it could hit my mom, it could hit, you know, my grandkids, it could hit anybody, it could hit my spouse. And if it does, I don't know if I'm going to recover, when I'm going to be asymptomatic or die. And especially in the beginning, you know, uh, the projections were really scary. I remember one guy in uh, one of the most well-known commentators on our television screens um, projecting that, saying that if we if we get a less than a hundred thousand deaths in australia that we'll be doing okay you know the yes. projections were horrible so people felt that there was no control now you have you know the easiest thing is just to say well you know there has to be control and god controls everything but what does it mean when we say god can god is in control i don't think it means that it's god is mechanistically in control like a robot yeah. that you know everything is either god's decision yes or no and everything therefore is what god wants mm. god's created a universe and let's talk about our earth our planet that is so interwoven and and so in control that when we see these little blips we think they're disasters and huge and enormous but in the bigger scale of things they are not because there is still a level of control so you're talking about where i see it so i walk out on my veranda i live in a queenslander as you know i look into onto the veranda and i look out in that forest and see the birds there we've got sorry, more than species sorry, of birds Yep. For, the, for those who are watching, not from Queensland, the Queenslander is a house that's basically built on, on stilts or on, on columns or poles. That's right. A wooden house on stilts 
were, in our case, 300-degree veranda around the house. So when I look at from that veranda into the forest, I see some of the 36 species of birds that we've listed in our block, in our forest. And Henriette and I talk about that and say, look at these birds. Look at the little lorikeets going into that hole in the tree. They don't care about the virus. They have no idea about the virus. God's controlling. God is looking after them. When we put out seeds and they, they get the seeds, they think that's great. When we go to Harvey Bay in the caravan and the seeds are not there, they say, well, let's find a gravilio. Suck mm. the sap out of that. You know, um, I'm, not trivial, I'm not trying to trivialize this virus. But I've been reading a book. I, I, oh, well, I'm busy reading. I'm reading a book uh, there you go, by Stephen Pinker called Enlightenment Now. Yeah. Uh, a good recommendation for a book is when Bill Gates on the front cover says, my new favorite book of all time. That right. is uh, worth reading. The, the, the first few chapters are just full of graphs saying, this is the best time to live ever. We have never had less war in the world. We have mm -hmm. never had more, um, more healthy people in the world. We have never had a higher life expectancy in the world. We have never had more wealth in the world. We have never had less murders in the world. You know, these things we find hard to believe, but the graphs are like sheer drops. So when we're in this virus, even now, if this was the Black Plague, people would die in terrific numbers because there was no understanding of where it came from. There right. was no way of coping. There was no ICU. Um, yes, on an individual level, there are times when we have little control and and places where we have little control, but it doesn't mean that God's lost control. It doesn't mean yeah. that this world is firing out of control. Um, no, absolutely. So I see some of that in the beauty of it. I see some of it in the grace and in God caring. Um, I see God care for that little wallaby that hopped out of its mom's pouch in our front yard the other day. And I think, blessed be to God. What a privilege mm. to see. And well, I see you. that when I go into someone's home and, and I see their love for God. Mm. And I see, I visited someone a couple of days ago. And at one stage, you know, I was sitting in their lounge, husband and wife. And I sit and sat in their lounge and they just said, and after a whole bit of conversation, I said to them, you guys are happy, aren't you? you, you you're, you're content with life. And they said, we are. We're happy. God has looked after us. Mm. Sometimes we need to look back a bit or get a bit of a helicopter view to see that. And in the middle of a crisis, that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. But the sense of control that I see is that God has not let this go. This is not mm. going to end. This is not the end of the world. Yeah, I think related to that uh, is is the, a comment there by Denise who says she sat next to a ninety plus year uh, year old person who lived through uh, the Depression, World War Two, and and various other major events that helped put it into perspective, which is which is very yeah. true. Chris, you mentioned the second uh, leg of that chair was uh, belief in values. And, um, and I, I, I've enjoyed seeing politicians actually work towards a common goal in this thing for once and not, uh, not trying to do uh, point scoring where 
And, and I attribute that to them believing in the same values of the, the need for health for all people in, in uh, the countries. Um, that gave me hope. What are the kind of values that the church offers to the world that could bring hope? Yeah, so it's not a belief in values that's important. It's the shared values. They're saying hope is created because people share values. And the shared values in the church are based on Christ and that universal feeling of, of you know, we're here to serve. We are the loved by God and therefore love others. Um, the shared value that all people are important, the shared value that we uh, we care and put other people first and love them as much as we love ourselves. This is the time for us to show that and to do that. You know, um, in the in the starfish theology, little analogy, little parable that I quoted, the old yeah. parable that's been around for a while. Um, I I used one or two little examples about individuals making a difference. I want to share with you a little story of what happened in the middle of this toilet paper pandemic. Yeah. Um, right at this, you know, at the heart of it, a, a, about six weeks ago, um, one of one of the people I know quite well, and you know him as well, I'm not going to embarrass people by using their names, but bought a pack of toilet paper, which at that stage, you know, was precious and, you know, more valuable than a, than a vat of oil, um, and took the, uh, took the rolls of toilet paper, pinned a note to each roll, put oh. it in his neighbor's letterboxes, saying, we as a church community care about you. Mm. That precious commodity, they put in people's letterboxes and said, we care about you. That's the shared yeah. value. Yes, I might end up with a shortage of toilet paper, but it's because I've showed you that I care about you. Right. That's how we make the real difference, I think. Oh, I hate beautiful. this thing where we virtue signal and tell everybody what they're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. Let's do it. Mm. And that ties into the next uh, the next one, Chris, the third leg, which was the community that uh, that we belong to. Um, what for you is the best part of the community of the church? What what for you is uh, something which you've valued in your own life personally about being part of that community? Oh, right. The the, the knowledge that if if the chips are really down. Um, mm -hmm. those who know you and those who actually uh, know of the circumstances will be there. That the real yeah. Christians are the people that step up. That when it's really tough, it's those two or three people that call you. And that's what's meant so much for me. And that's why I think it's so important that we acknowledge that and know that when it's tough for others. Mm. You know, don't just think that well, that person's going through that tough time. I'm sure they have lots of support. Pick up the phone and call them because um, it's interesting how heightened your memory is at that stage. You need to just remember yeah. who really cared. Who was just saying, yeah, it'll be fine. And who actually said, I care. Yeah. I remember, well, I was earlier, I was referring to how tough the immigration process was. When we lived in Perth, and for the first time, you know, the kids had no toys and nothing. The front door bell rang. We were sleeping on mattresses on the floor because we were waiting for the furniture. 
and it was a minister from the other side of Perth, 30, 40 kilometers away, who stopped at the front door, had this big box full of board games and right. a cricket bat, and you know, and just said, Here's some stuff for your kids to use, here's some stuff for you to enjoy and to make life better while you're going through this time. That's you don't forget that. No, that's true. Uh, I, I've been overjoyed to see in this time, every time I sort of think of somebody in the church who I think may have slipped through the cracks or we've forgotten about and you phone and they say, oh, no, no, someone else has been contacting me or looking after me. And that, that's yeah. beautiful. That is yeah. so great, yeah. That, this is a time for us to step up because the opportunities are there. Absolutely. Chris, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, I loved your... Uh, quote at the end which in which you said don't just hope for better be better and help others to be better Bec and the reason I liked it is because it, it puts the responsibility um, on all of us and you, you asked us at the end of the sermon in, in a challenge what is the uh, or, or what is the one thing where, where you will make a real difference or who who is the one person to whom you will make a real difference what advice or direction would you give to a person who is listening to your sermon and saying maybe, I don't know where to start. I don't know who that, what, how, do I, how do I do that? Mate, if you were listening to this whole last half an hour and somebody came to mind, that's the person. Go okay. phone them now. Yeah, if tomorrow morning you wake up and you think, this song has reminded me of so-and-so, call them. If you think, wouldn't it be nice if I actually bought some of that and just delivered it at someone's house, um, go do it. Mm. Don't procrastinate. Don't dream too big. We, these lofty ideas of I'm going to change the world, very few people get the opportunity to change the world. You change the world by making a difference to the one starfish at a time. Yeah. And I, I would just encourage you, just go do that. Go make that small difference. I, I'm still stunned when somebody pulls out a Bible and says, you know what, you handed out stickers in a sermon in um, you know, 2001, and I kept mine and stuck it in the front of my Bible because it means so much to me. Here it is. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, just go do it. It's, it's not that hard, but don't try to put a strategic plan in place, 15 steps, 16 months, or, you know, and, and evaluate it the 18th month. Just go do it. Just make that difference. Yeah. Great. Chris, that's a, that's a, a fantastic place to end. And uh, I actually just want to end with saying that, uh, saying that quote again. I did have it somewhere, uh, somewhere in here where it says, uh, don't just hope for better, but be better and help others be better. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's probably a, a great place to end off this evening. Thank you so much for, uh, for being with us tonight, but also for being in the, um, for, for taking the sermon. We really appreciate that. And uh, it's been it's lovely been great. being with you guys. Thank you. Thank Good you. to just flesh it out a little bit further. So thank you for that. Thanks. And thanks to Debbie and the kids for a great lunch. It was good to oh. spend time with you. Likewise, likewise. Thanks to all Cheers. those that tuned in. It was good to have you there and, and read your comments. Enjoyed that. Phenomenal. Thank you, Chris. Thanks.
Friends, that's uh, been our connecting conversations for this evening. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again on Sunday. God bless.